0: 97.1 FM Talk Podcast.
1: Second hour on a Thursday. Tomorrow, we are going to be in Connellville doing a fish fry broadcast from the Knights of Columbus Hall. We were there last year. Can't wait to get started. We had a cancellation due to the weather last week. But we will be an incarnate word. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm having so much problem saying incarnate word, and here's why. I was I blamed Wiggins on this originally, but it was Tricia who wrote the copy and then accidentally put in world instead of word. Oh. so then they they we had to redo the promo because that promo ran a week ago, right? So now we want to promote next week's fish fry, right? And the damn word was still world, and I'm like an idiot, like Steve Carell <laughs> and Anchorman. I read the stupid uh, word the wrong way every time. So I, I understand this. Yes. I really do. Your, your eyes see those things, and yeah, I couldn't do. get it out. Uh, before Sue's News, a couple of things I wanted to cover, just some of them very quickly. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks talking about Fran, who was um, dismissed from the MS Society because she didn't understand gender pronouns. And she's and, 90. And she and, and they, they finally apologized in a very weak way yesterday. But here's my issue with that story. I've yet to see that story in The New York Times, in The Washington Post, in The L.A. Times, on CNN. N- nowhere. Now, Fox did it. Jesse did it. But it's been nowhere in the legacy media. That seems to be a legitimate story. Right. And they, they haven't covered it. This one I love. And I, man, I, there's a part of me really that wishes I would have talked about this yesterday because I knew it was going to turn out this way. And you're just going to have to trust me. I open up uh, The Washington Post yesterday and I see, you know, I'm, I look at stories all day long and I'm looking for things to talk about. And I see this uh, this story written by a reporter by the name of Molly Hennessy Fiske. The headline is Oklahoma non-binary teen died after school fight amid reported bullying. And you read this story, what's known with certainty is that a 16-year-old is dead. Um, next, Benedict collapsed the day after an altercation in a girl's bathroom at the public high school they attended, where relatives say the 10th grader, who used they, them pronouns, had been bullied for being non-binary. So you read this story, and they give every indication, this lovely reporter Molly does, that this was a result of these bullies, right? That next was beat up by a bunch of kids in the bathroom. Little slight problem with the narrative because they released the autopsy results and she did not die from anything related to the fight. Actually, they didn't release the autopsy. They have reported that they can say definitively that nothing. From the fight resulted in her death. I don't think they know exactly why this little girl died. But let me tell you something. The media went wild with this story because it looks it's in Oklahoma. They're a red state. They hate, you know, they hate gay people. They hate trans people. There are people that were quoted in news stories about this. And The Washington Post did the same thing. Look, it never happened. Okay, so the incident happened. But I think there's some indication that Nex poured water on the girls That sort of went after her in the bathroom. So she started the fight. I'm not defending any violence that would have taken place between any of these kids. What I'm saying is the media, again, tries to hook you in with a bunch of bullies, redneck bullies in Oklahoma, beat up this trans kid like they always do. It didn't happen. All right, so that's one story I wanted to talk about. I thought this was interesting, too. Um, In the L.A. Times today, the Sierra's remarkable recovery, snow drought, fears overturned in a flash. So let's try to track this just a little bit in California. It was climate change, CO2, evil capitalists that caused the drought that was, you know, hanging over California. But now there's no drought. Like They've had tons of rain, the snowfall ample. So what's to account for this? That's a good question. I, I'm just I am so confused by that. I really wish someone can help me out. Oh, I didn't pair this correctly with the previous story, so let me do that. Man, that's bad on the part of the host here this afternoon. I had a perfect segue. What I'm doing here is going through my my X feed. Notice how I'm calling it X now mm-hmm. because I put a, I was very active today. You're very. Hip. There is a story from Denver, and here's the CBS News story, ladies and gentlemen. I'll make the prediction on this that I should have made on the trans story from Oklahoma. Okay, and I should have done these two together. Here's CBS News Twitter. A Martin Luther King junior monument in Denver was vandalized this week with the vandals stealing a bronze panel depicting African-American participation in the wars from the American Revolution to Vietnam. It can't be replaced, the sculptor of the panel said. Uh, You want to bet if and when they catch the vandals, and they won't. They won't catch the vandals. They're not white. Okay, I can guarantee you that one as well. They will not be white. Uh, what else here? Oh, the Kansas City shooting story. I have to get to that. This is awesome as well. So the Kansas City star, <laughs> I just love, they finally decided to put the mugshot in of, um, you know, this dude that, that killed the disc jockey the other day, Lisa Lopez Galvin. And we talked about this the last couple of days because you had the news conference and Lindell Mays was identified. And I even read from the criminal report yesterday where Lindell Mays says, I thought I shoot once. And the cop says, hey, did you realize this person was, you know, running away from you? Yeah. He, had, he had finally admits it. He was Mirandized and everything. So the Kansas City Star puts um, – finally puts the picture of this Lindell Mays guy in the paper And they put an editor's note, which is really something. The Star is for the first time publishing a booking photo for Lindell Mays, who was taken into the Jackson County Detention Center Tuesday night after being treated at a hospital. The Star has held off until Wednesday to understand why a booking photo of Dominic Miller was not available. The Jackson County Prosecutor's Office said Wednesday morning that Miller is still at the hospital and had not yet been photographed. In addition, we took the—this is my favorite part. First of all, on that part, why do you have to have both— Shots anyway. Who cares? Use the one that you have. But then they say this We took the time to carefully consider whether to use booking mugs in the absence of other images of the adult suspects. The star's policy is to use booking mugs only in the highest profile of crimes. Uh, okay. Seems like this one fits the bill, Kansas City star. But they had to put an editor's note because, of course, the thugs are black. And I know that's a dog whistle, Mary Q, but we're kind of talking about the facts right now, aren't we? The Kansas City Star doesn't want to do that because they they feel bad about it. You know, they feel like their social justice mission is thrown off course when they have to put a thug's picture in the paper. But they had to do it, actually
0: these allegations are deeply concerning does the president have any comment we're not going to comment it's not clear messaging and now sue's news sponsored by mr appliance speedy expert service mr appliance.com
2: fred do you make chili oh yeah it's national chili day that sounds great okay got some in the refrigerator what do you like the chicken kind or are you straight up beef uh, no, it's um, ground chuck, that sort of thing. Okay, well, that's beef, Fred. That's how that works. Well, you know, do you? Oh, you, you mean as opposed chun- to chunks? Have you or, ever done it with or chunks? Or ground beef? Because I haven't either. No, I haven't either. Wasn't ground chuck a little
1: different than ground beef? No, not really. really? No, I thought it was oh. just like a little, like lower fat or not. No, oh, I don't know about the fat. Okay, All right. Well, Fred, I'm with you. Fred,
2: I, I buy ground chuck. Yeah, yeah. I buy. Here's what I buy: whatever is the cheapest. <laughs> and I think that might be the ground chuck. I did not mean to insult you, Fred, because uh, that is National Chili Day, and there are so many. Like Mark Cox is from the Cincinnati area, and they do a special kind that they call Skyline Chili. And they I put, like skyline chili. Do you I, really? I yeah. hate skyline yeah. chili. You do, do or you, you don't? don't? Oh, I hate it. Um, Why? because it's, it's weird. It's weird. I totally, it's I'm awesome. totally with Fred it's on the, this. the spaghetti noodles, right? Uh, yeah. No, it also has chocolate in it. Isn't that it? Right. Or cinnamon? is chocolate, isn't it? It's chocolate. Yeah. If okay. it has noodles, is it not just Chili Mac? Well, it's, it's a little different because mac.
1: they, well, but Skyline Chili is a little different. Chili Mac would be more like um, macaroni noodles. And oh, they, yeah. They, they yeah, do yeah. longer noodles. Mm. But I have, here's, in my defense, I have not had Skyline Chili for probably, you know, 17, 18 years. Bill Michaels is a guest every once in a while, the big unit up in Milwaukee. He's a sports guy, guest on the show. He is from Cincinnati and he would bring it.
2: And I kind of liked it. I know there's split decisions on this. It's yeah. kind of like emos here in St. Louis. Well, that's true. <laughs> too because that's probably not real to others okay wallet hub did an article about the amount of real estate property taxes people have to pay in each state and wow oh yeah uh, the property tax rate varies widely by state now i found this interesting the lowest tax rate for real estate is in can you guess what uh uh state mark reardon well, I
1: lived in Wisconsin and I know it's very high there. I know Illinois is high, Minnesota as well. Those would be my guesses, or Massachusetts, something no, like that. I think the lowest. Oh, the lowest. Yeah. One of the lowest, like, property rates. Uh-huh.
2: I would say, like, Alabama or I something. I would have thought so, too. What do you say, Abby? Iowa? Hmm, good guess. Fred? Utah? Hawaii. Hawaii. How is that even possible? Because of
1: tourism maybe.
2: Oh, maybe. Maybe because it's offset they, they, by that. They hit
1: the tour Yeah, they hit the tourists and not
2: the uh, the property owners. That that would make sense. Okay, the lowest rate is in Hawaii about 0.27%. Florida at the 24th lowest uh, in the US. Missouri is 29th our flat well our real estate tax rate is about 0.91%. The highest Illinois. People, this is the second highest Illinois is one of the top two. They have a tax rate of 2.11% on real estate property. It's outrageous. Now, they don't have other taxes, so they get you through that. Um, the only well, yeah, one— yeah, in other words, they don't have, like, we personal, have personal property, property tax taxes tax here, and they and don't they have, don't that, have right. that. But uh, 2.11, the only state that topped that was New Jersey, and I didn't see that coming either. It's 2.33%. So, yes, Illinois people paying a lot of real estate tax. Move to Hawaii. Of course you can't because it's really expensive. It's,
1: it's so annoying because I've been, and I think a lot of people are in a situation where they have more on their mortgage in um, escrow for their personal, for their property
2: taxes than they do in their principal of the mortgage. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because that's just weird. Okay, I saw this story, and I just thought it was so bizarre that I thought I would do it. Okay, apparently Jay Leno... Has a habit of falling in love with women who were born on September 5th. Oh, thank goodness. I do not. Is that you? No, I'm September 6th. Okay. Okay. It sounded like you were confirming something That really kind of freaked me out. (laughs) No, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Not me. Okay. That includes his wife, Mavis. Okay. In a 2016 interview, Jay said, quote, I've lived with five women and every one of them was born on the same day. What? Okay, but. Hang on, quintuplets.
1: Uh, yeah. I just know about Mavis because I've heard him talk about Mavis. So how many did he? Does he have other girlfriends or
2: wives? Or are these I, no people before that you just before kind of he met? married Mavis, I guess. And I can look at a woman and go September fifth. I don't know why that is, says Jay Leno. I don't look for a woman Come born on, on September 5th. I just wind up attracted to them. <laughs> That's so weird. When he first met Mavis, he asked her if she was, quote, born on or around September 5th because he was attracted to her. When she told him she was indeed a 9/5 baby, all he could do was laugh. That would be the fifth or sixth woman. That's so crazy. He said in that same interview, Jay remembered interviewing, remember the comic strip Kathy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. The woman who did that, Kathy White, One of my least favorites probably back in the day, if I had to be honest. Right. Well, he found himself. He was interviewing him uh, for her, right. and he thought, oh, gosh, I'm kind of attracted to her. So he said, what, what's your birthday? And she said, yep. Come on. September the 5th. That's bizarre. It's just so weird. Anyway, as weird as it is, Jay does not seem to question it. He says, I'm one of those people who accept things exactly as they appear to be. What? That is just nuts to me. But, uh, I mean, I was interested enough in the story to do it, but okay. I could have served as a random fact. It could have, but <laughs> like it was three three so Three or four long, years from now, write that down for the yeah. random fact. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's too long. Do you have, I'm going to ask you to think about this today because we're going to talk about it tomorrow. What movie could you not make it through? Did you either leave the theater, leave the room? You could not finish oh, it. Think I, about I have that. Because I, I, I have one too yeah. that immediately comes to mind. Do you have the same one as he does, Fred? No, but I, I know what Mark's is. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah.
1: Really? It no, was which one, one you recently no, watched? No, on no, no, no. This okay. goes back to, in fact, I'm trying to even think of the damn theater. If we go back to the early 80s, this was not at the Chesterfield Mall. What, what theater would have been out in West County back in the early 1980s? DePair? Was there? Now further, further out. It wasn't the was, was there something right by 141? And um, I don't know. I just remember. I'd have to think about what theater it was. But I'll, I'll think about this for tomorrow. Okay, for think sure, about that I have
2: for tomorrow. And uh, Abby and Fred as well, because we'll uh, cover that one then. Uh, there was a survey out, and I wondered if Mark could answer this. 26% of parents say packing their kids' lunchbox is their least favorite chore. Is that true?
1: Oh, I got a lot of least favorite than that. And mom takes, truth be told, mom takes care of most of that. But when I have to supplement the lunchbox, not too stressed about it, no. Uh,
2: 29% would rather clean the bathroom than put a few things together for the kid's lunch. Well, Becky might answer this differently because there's a lot of pickiness on the part of the 8-year-old. See, that's what I'm thinking must happen. Packing lunchboxes could take a lot of time, especially if you're preparing multiple items to your kid's taste. And not just tossing in a Lunchable. Does she ever just get Lunchables and toss them in? Not is as much fair?
1: recently. Um, she's, my daughter is just so weird about eating. You know, we, we can pack the Lunchbox, and then the Lunchbox comes back, and there's nothing eaten out of it, so what, it's do, what are they doing? I have Does no she idea. she get
2: something at the... Uh, and no idea. KFC is rolling out a new menu item called Cheatsa. That's the mashup thing. <laughs> Come on. You haven't even heard it yet. No. When I first read this today, I thought I had to read it twice. The name is a mashup, of course, of chicken and pizza. It's not fried chicken on a pizza. It's pizza on fried chicken. So the fried chicken fillets are the crust. And then they put marinara and uh, mozzarella cheese and pepperoni (laughs) on top. It sounds like those are the only toppings for now. Chizza? The chizza. I like the name. Yeah, come on. It will be available at most KFC locations nationwide starting uh, next Monday. We will see how long it lasts. A Cheetah, yes or no, uh, Abby? I I would try it, but I don't love the idea. I want the crust of the pizza. Fred's not I, eating it. No, no, no. Oh, i you try would? it. Okay. I think all the food's there, I would eat. All right, well, let's I like the <laughs> no, grouping. That's what Fred's saying. Oh, yeah, right. Right. Fred also no no
0: it on it, so I'll eat
1: it. Yeah,
2: right, exactly. <laughs> I like i'll that. split a cheetah with you sue's news brought to you by mr appliance speedy expert service go to mr appliance.com uh today's random fact tic tacs remember the tic tacs i like the orange ones not to be confused with tic Tocks. but mm. yes i do remember tic tacs they still have them don't they yeah i think they do Little breath mints right my brother is in a tic tac mood right now oh so that's yes. so funny they're still around they are almost pure sugar <laughs> but since each one has less than 0.5 grams, they're legally allowed to round down and say they're sugar-free, oh, even though that's all that's in them. That's funny. And that's, that's it. That's crazy. For, isn't there it?
1: There you go. Thank you. So, yeah, that one was nice and compact compared to the, right? uh, the earlier, more detailed. Random fact. There you go. Hey, Abby, make a little note, make a little community note for the host to buy a um, what do you call that? A thing? Cheetah. A cheats. A cheats. Because we have the uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken right next right. door. Yeah. So we'll we'll sample one very soon. Jane's got to be in on that, though, too. We might have to get her involved. Fish Fry Friday tomorrow. Come see us in Cottleville. We'll get started at three o'clock with the Reardon Roundtable. Jane on the panel. John Gaskin. Gene Evans. This guy, our next guest, Jack Cardetti, used to be on the roundtable. Then he got too busy and can't come see us anymore. I do miss you, Jack. How are you this afternoon?
0: I'm doing well. It's great to hear your voice,
1: Mark. He's in mid-Missouri, and um, you work on a lot of issues, but you also work with Mocan Trade and um, with my friend Andrew Mullins, by the way, When I know Andrew very well. But this is interesting, and I've always been honest about this. As you know, Jack, my wife is in the cannabis industry. I certainly supported legalized medicinal and recreational marijuana. But this is about some of the stuff that gets sold in these convenience stores. We had this story earlier this month, Sumner High School students that consumed um, a product that was bought at a gas station. And, Jack, the legislature is trying to fix this, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the majority of states regulate or ban intoxicating cannabinoids like Delta hate and everything. And in fact, in Missouri, we regulate all intoxicating products, whether it's tobacco or liquor or beer or even now marijuana. This is one of the only intoxicating products that kids could walk into a gas station, buy, get high. Uh, um, and, and and we're really seeing bad consequences about it. We're seeing this all over the country, but unfortunately, that news came to Missouri a couple weeks ago. So
1: how did the, how did, maybe the question would be how did this happen? And I, even though I know a fair amount about um, you know the intoxicant and the industry, I don't really understand the difference between delta eight and delta nine and what's legal to sell in a convenience store what might not be legal. Can you explain that a little bit and how they kind yeah. of because
0: they skirt the rules a little bit here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, both these products, marijuana and uh, Delta-8, they both have THC in them. They both will give you uh, an intoxicating high effect. Only one of them is, is heavily regulated in the state of Missouri, and one of them uh, is completely unregulated. It's just the Wild West. And and how this happened was when the federal government passed the 2018 Farm Bill, they legalized industrial hemp, right? So, and we have farmers that grow industrial hemp here. It's for fiber, it's for CBD, right. it's for other products, but none of those products are intoxicating. And so you have out-of-state c- uh, companies that are coming in and they're flooding the market with these intoxicating products, and, and quite frankly, we don't know what's in the products. We know that almost all this stuff is coming in from outside of Missouri. And in fact, a lot of it comes straight from China and overseas.
1: Is this, maybe this isn't a good analogy, but would you compare this a little bit to the VLT lottery machines since there's a gray, they call them gray machines because there's a gray area in the law?
0: Is that a little similar? Uh, it is a little similar. Um, and these unfortunately, these companies are really taking advantage of this. I mean, one of the, the, the most outrageous things is they are directly marketing these things to children. Right. If you go in oh, yeah. some of these gas stations, these look like packets of Skittles. They look like packets – uh, of uh, gummy bears, right? And so you have kids that are, some kids that are taking these knowing that they're going to get them high. There are other kids that are mistakenly taking these. And that's really what's le- leading to a lot of the hospitalizations that we're seeing.
1: Jack Cardetti is with us. He um, is a spokesman for Mocan Trade. We have uh, State Senator Nick Schroer is going to be on the show tomorrow on the five o'clock hour, Jack, when I do the fish fry. And I know that Nick is involved in the legislation. So this week, the judiciary, the Senate Judiciary Committee in Jeff City voted to approve a bill that's going to deal with some of this. Can you explain
0: that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the Senate Judiciary passed by seven to nothing vote, bipartisan vote, unanimous vote to actually start regulating these products, right? And so they, you'd have to be 21 and older to purchase them. They couldn't be marketed to kids. They would have to be in child-safe containers. They'd have to be regulated and sold the same way that Missouri regulates marijuana. And so uh, Senator Shore and others have really been hearing from law enforcement on this matter, and it's making their job incredibly difficult. We're a law and order state. We want to make sure. That if there are intoxicating products out there, that they're regulated. A lot of states have gone ahead and just banned them completely. That's not what this legislation would do, but it would
1: start to regulate these products. Do other states have similar challenges here or not? Well,
0: uh, the majority of states have either already banned or regulated these products. So a lot of states have gotten out ahead of this. As soon as they saw this stuff starting to explode on gas. Station shelves. They went ahead and acted. Unfortunately, in Missouri, we have not gotten there yet. But hopefully this is the legislative session where Democrats and Republicans come together and really put some common sense regulations around the only intoxicating product in Missouri that's completely unregulated.
1: Yeah. And it seems like as dysfunctional as the legislative body can be, it does seem like this is one where some people are on the same page and we can fix this, which is good. I think that's encouraging.
0: It is. The, the thing we worry about, though, is the gas station lobby is working this bill, uh, opposition this bill, very, very hard. They, uh, you know, they are selling these products. They want to continue to sell these products, and they're lobbying against this legislation. What is their defense?
1: What- because since they are you know, intoxicating, what, what's their defense of that?
0: Yeah, their defense is that they make money off of it. That's literally <laughs> oh, all oh they boy. they tell legislators. And again, you could make money off selling meth at gas stations or fentanyl at gas stations, but it wouldn't make it right, and, and we would never allow that in Missouri. And we shouldn't allow these products to be sold to kids as well.
1: Is this you know again? This is a little uh, ignorance here on on my part. But what's how does kratom relate to this?
0: uh yeah so the a little bit different but but similar in, in the marketing and, and some of the other things so it it gives uh again it's an intoxicating product. it's sold a lot of the same places we'll see this uh but the 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 chemicals uh, and part of it are different
1: well i you know, the reason I bring that up is because I just saw a story um, in The Washington Post this week about how some people there there's been some deaths that have been reported even from kratom so um, that's something else. I guess people need to be careful with. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you clearing up some of the questions on this because I was curious, Jack Cardetti, and I hope they can get something done. We'll get a further update from um, from Nick tomorrow night for sure.
0: I appreciate you having right. me on. Thanks, and a lot.
1: we'd love to have you back on the roundtable, Cardetti, if you can squeeze us in at any point. Let's do it some All Friday. Right. That sounds All right. great. Take care. Thanks, Jack. He was awesome. I always liked him on the roundtable because, again, he's like Jane to a certain extent, where less annoying. Of course, he talks less, but common sense, even though he's a Democrat, he's, a, he's gotcha. a good dude. And he's in Columbia, which I have affinity for. Uh, let me get to... I have some time here. That didn't take a ton of time. So I want Fred to get this person on the air because I think it's going to be interesting. Rob Henderson is his name. And Rob wrote a book called Troubled, a memoir of foster care family and social class. So I read a piece... Um, on Substack today from him, and I thought it was very interesting. And this has to do with some of the stuff that's going on on college campuses. So he went to Yale, and he said, "...there were many surreal aspects of my experience at Yale, including the opportunity to learn from high-profile professors. I took a course on Shakespeare taught by the late Harold Bloom, who had been described as the most renowned and arguably the most passionate literary critic and Shakespeare scholar in America." And, um, you know, he kind of goes on about his experience at, at Yale. He says, before my first classes were scheduled, I was sitting in a courtyard of my residential college when a young woman asked for help lifting some boxes into her dorm room. She introduced herself and told me she was a senior. I explained that this was my first semester. What do you think of Yale so far, she asked. I was embarrassed to answer. I keep waiting for them to tell me it was a mistake that they let me in. I said, carrying the boxes up the stairs as she guided me, walking around, it feels like I'm dreaming. And her response was, it's such a great feeling enjoy it. So he kind of goes into, um, you know, a little bit of the beginning time. <laughs> she she offers to sell him Adderall. That's actually part of the story. But that's not what the, um, the story that he wrote in Substack is about. In his first semester, he tells about trying to get into a course. And some of this might come back to many of you, because I talked about this person on the air quite a bit when it happened. Uh, at least you might have vague memory of it. There was a course that was titled The Concept of the Problem Child. And um, The course description was this, differing visions of good and bad, typical and atypical children, reasons why some children are seen as deviant and others are normal. It goes on and on, blah, blah, blah. And this guy was in the foster care. He was a foster um, child. So he was in the foster care system. And he said, look, this was a course that I was interested in, but it was capped, meaning only a limited number of students could join. So 100 students had applied. Many of them were seniors. He was new. He was a freshman. He was waitlisted. No big deal. I'll take it the next time. And he writes an email to Erica Christakis, who was the professor, thanking her. And then he learns, and this is the part that that I'd remember, and I, I was reading this piece this morning. I thought, oh, I remember this. So that was the last time that that class was ever offered at Yale. And here's what happened. So he says, walking through old campus, the oldest part of Yale, I found a flyer indicating that NYU professor Jonathan Haidt was visiting campus to give a talk at Yale. I had recently read his book, The Righteous Mind. I figured Professor Haidt would speak about moral psychology, the theme of his book, but instead he just wanted to discuss the purpose of a university and he encouraged the audience to consider whether the aim of higher education is to protect students or to equip them with the ability to seek truth, and he was clearly in favor of the latter, right? As it should be. And he said, uh, Rob said, I I thought this was strange. I sat there utterly perplexed. Why was he talking about this? And Rob admits, I didn't have the background to understand, the knowledge to understand. The social environment was new to me, and he didn't realize there was a, National debate going on about the very nature of higher education. This was a while ago, right? This wasn't just in the last six months where we've had this renewed debate. So he says, soon the message of hate's talk would become painfully clear. Just as my feelings of being a total outsider had begun to subside, they would suddenly resurface. Two weeks later, I was sitting on a bench in front of Sterling Memorial Library, reading an email on my laptop by Erica Christakis, the professor that I just mentioned, who taught the concept of the problem child course. I'm confused, honestly. I said to the student next to me, I have no idea why people are upset about this. And that student sighed. He said, I knew that email would be controversial as soon as I read it. So the university administration circulated a campus-wide email to students. This is where the memory might come in. This was a few years ago. To be sensitive about what Halloween costumes they wear. The idea was that the costumes that implied other cultures or interests were unserious or played into stereotypes that might cause discomfort or harm to others. So Erica Christakis, and I read from this, she wrote an email to students and, and she was rare, very rare college professor, because she questioned whether the administration of Yale University should interfere with students' lives. She defended freedom of expression. Huh. She urged, uh, yeah, go 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 figure. She urged students to handle disagreements about costumes on their own. Well, you know what happened to her? Cancelled? Oh. Fired? Cancelled. Oh, yeah. And they went after her. And then what happened, here's what I remember about this. At one point, there's a video of this out there with Christakis or her husband. I'd have to find. Probably should have found it before this. But there's a conversation with a bunch of these radicals at Yale, and they are shouting. I think it was her husband. He's trying to defend his wife, and they are shouting him down. Because the students thought that this was just part of their education. You know, cultural appropriation, that's terrible, right? So there was a student who told Rob, uh, a fellow student who was from Greenwich, Connecticut, said that Rob was too privileged to understand that the pain that those professors had caused. At first, Rob says I was stunned, but later I came to understand the intellectual acrobatics necessary to say something like this. The student who called me privileged likely meant that due to my background as a biracial, Asian, Latino, heterosexual, cisgender and he puts in parentheses, that is, I present as the sex I was assigned at birth male. This means that I've led a privileged life. However, I also learned that many inhabitants of elite universities assign a great deal of importance to lived experience. This means that your unique personal hardships serve as important credentials to expound on social ills and suggest remedies. And Rob thought, well, that's kind of contradictory, right? Which is more relevant to identity? One's discernible characteristics, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, et cetera, or what they actually went through in their lives. I asked two students this question. One replied that this question was dangerous to ask. The, the other said that one's discernible characteristics determine what experiences they have in their lives. This means that if you belong to a privileged group, white, you know, heterosexual, you're privileged, right? Then you had a privileged life. Rob says, well, I, I dropped the, um, the conversation there. Now, this piece goes on and on because it's an excerpt from his book, but he points out that the language that the students used in association with these professors who had just encouraged them to think for themselves, right? Oh, no. That was danger. That was harmful. That was painful. Trauma, that word. Trauma. When we think of trauma, we think about this poor little girl who was buried with her brother in Fort Lauderdale under sand, right? Trauma to them means that you misgendered someone. That's what happens on these college
2: campuses. You know what? I'm reading a a book by Dr. Gad Saad. He calls it The Parasitic Mind. And uh, he he covers a bunch of this stuff. And part of it is then we churn out kids who have no ability to critically think because they think that everything is trauma. If somebody doesn't agree with you, that's trauma and dangerous. And how are you ever going to debate anything? when you're just traumatized by somebody who doesn't agree with you. No, it's it's the victim class. And this is what
1: we're raising, and this is what we've gotten, and this is how these—and it's starting earlier and earlier. It's starting in elementary school. It's certainly happening in middle school and in high schools. They're indoctrinating them. And then academia takes them on in college and completes the brainwashing process. Now, having said that, and I want to get Rob on to talk about his book, there's a pushback. There's even news today that Yale, for example— is going back to the ACT test, which they ditched. So some encouraging signs out there in academia as well, despite all the evil. Uh, Do you ever watch the show Veep?
2: Uh, no, I never saw it. Julie have-
1: uh dreyfus sorry, not Dreyfus. Uh, <laughs> she reminds us of Jane. Jane loves it when we say that. Tony Hale, Anna Klumski, uh, very good show. Really, really funny show. Was and it HBO?
2: or? It was, I think. What, we call that Max now.
1: Uh, oh, sorry. Here, so make sure you get that right. Yeah. I, you know what's funny about Veep is when I first tried to watch it, I thought, ah, this is, you know, too— I felt like they weren't—I don't know what I felt. I felt like they weren't being true to the way— <laughs> that the I forgot it was a comedy maybe uh, and course. I thought uh, man, they're not taking this seriously enough but then I kind of got hooked into it at one point watched every episode loved it well there's uh there was an interview that you know who Doug Emhoff is right I do not he's the first gentleman He's Connell's oh, okay. husband, Doug Emhoff. So he was on Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen, of course, from right here in St. Louis on his podcast. And, and this came up. You
0: might think we already know everything there is to about her. But we happen to have the one person here who can shed a little more light on the Veep. So do you watch Veep? Have you ever seen Veep?
2: We're living
1: it. Yeah, so he says, we're living Veep. That's that's my life every day. So Fox, we have to give credit here. They, they did a little montage of the vice president and uh, Selena Meyer.
0: You know what I would like to tell people, but obviously I can't. No, stay here. I should be president yep. because it is my God's <laughs> turn. Are you ready to step into the role and do whatever the I country would need? I am absolutely ready. But thank God
2: our president is in good shape and good health. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Because words have many meanings, and what we mean to say when we speak those words can mean so many different things, we can confuse our own meaning and misspeak. The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there
2: is great significance to the passage of time. I mean, just so far ahead of time. the,
1: The show is, it really is funny. And I'm sure, look, I have to say this all the time because, um... You know, entertainment is not skewed toward us conservatives, right? So no. sometimes you kind of have to accept the fact that it's going to be biased, right? And they're going to take swipes at Republicans. But in my world, funny is funny. Right. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus was brilliant in that role. And it mocks, it's a satirical, somewhat accurate <laughs> portrayal of the goofiness of politics. And what, what's stunning about a show like Veep, and I think it's, more, it's certainly more stunning for me because I'm close to... To people who work in the uh, swamp, no offense to those listening who might be people who work in the swamp. And there's so much reality. There really is. You know, you see different scenes in Veep, and you're like, yep, you can. And now you can even relate them to Harris or something. I had
2: never put that together.
1: I would recommend that show. You know, what's funny is I I think I've told you, I've gone back and I've been watching... um, Frazier. Frasier. And I'm like into about fourth or fifth episode in the second season, and I was texting with a good friend of mine in Cleveland who, same age, and, you know, we grew up appreciating a lot of the same shows, and I said, hey, were you a Frasier fan? He goes, yeah, kind of. I don't know that I watch it all. And I told him I was re-watching it, and he said, uh, does it hold up? And I said, yes, it does hold up. It really does. Now, maybe for me it's a little more interesting because he's a talk show host, right? Right, so right. That, that it's um, But it's, you know, that show, and I, I don't know if I can offer... I put Schitt's Creek in this category. When you have great casts... Veep is in this category. That's why I'm yeah, tying no. them together. Schitt's Creek, Veep, um, Parks and Rec. Okay, mm-hmm. a couple. There's a few that would go to the elite comedies oh, of all sure. time. You have in back never, in the Frasier days. What what'd you say?
2: I never got into Parks and Rec. I don't oh, know I why. I Parks and Rec. Isn't yeah, that interesting? But like when office. you have
1: the cast and the writing,
2: yeah, so yeah. spot on. And that was where I think
1: Veep succeeded because the writers had to be great. And then you had, <laughs> you know. Hale and Julia Louie delivering those lines in exceptional fashion. And
2: it won all the time for
1: awards for whatever. And I was but, late yeah. to, I, I just ignored Veep for many years and then it kept winning those awards. I'm like, okay, I better check it out. And I ended up loving it and I couldn't turn huh? it off. So, but for those of you interested in, uh, in going back and watching a show like Fraser, you should do that on Paramount Plus. Now, Here's one thing I will say. Remember how I came on last week and I had finally watched this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yes. And I love that show, but it was rather stark because, you know, they go three to four years sometimes without having shows. I think the last break was even longer than that. And the first thing that I noticed is that they all look so damn old. Like Larry David, to me, (sighs) looked Joe Biden old. And it was jarring, Sue. It really was. So I'm watching last night. I'm wrapping up, you know, an episode of Frasier and- what's weird is it kind of makes me laugh out loud. And the, a lot of shows don't do kinda that. That's
2: kind of, that's great. Yeah.
1: But so what's funny is, you know, they have the new show, right? Yeah. They, and today, they just announced that they renewed the reboot of Frasier on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, that's right. it yeah, is. Yeah, so they they read, you know, I, don't, I haven't watched that. So I decided to just watch the trailer okay. for, for the new Frasier because I'm watching the old Frasier. And I guess I kind of forgot that the episodes that I'm watching right now We're from 30 years ago, and Kelsey Grammer's just a little younger than he is in the new one because, man, he looks old, too.
0: Get more at 971talk.com.